Uh, Good morning, church. It's fun to be with the 930 service this morning. This is my service, and so I'm expecting you guys to talk at me a little bit, a little bit of amen, a little bit of hallelujah, preach preacher, all right? So if you need to stretch, feel free to do that, all right? Um, I would like to say thank you to our amazing pastoral staff at Free Methodist for the invitation to preach this morning. I have a deep love for this church, and it's an honor to serve our congregation in preaching a sermon this morning. Thank you for your love and support, as always. Um, I am currently on the track, the ordination track, and hope to finish that next year to be Reverend Shannon Barham. So, what? Praise him. And uh, it, it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be able to be on this track if it wasn't because of the love of the people in this room. So thank you so much for just the way that you've been a part of that journey. Um, If you're new to Free Methodist, uh, this is a special place. You're welcome here and loved deeply. You will get all the hugs. This church cares about people, and we're passionate about living a life of freedom and declaring freedom in our local community. I hope you feel loved, welcomed, known, and seen this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. 9.30. Get it. All right. So I would like to begin our time this morning reflecting on some key advice John Wesley, the father of Methodism, offered the church in his ministry long ago when Methodism was still a movement. John Wesley gave his helpers a list of 12 rules to follow. These helpers were lay preachers who were just starting to travel around and preach in various places. I'm sure they were like many of us in this room, just starting in ministry, hungry for guidance from those who had gone ahead of them, hoping not to make egregious mistakes with people's souls, and excited about the mission that they were embarking upon. In these rules, John Wesley offered some helpful tips about evangelism and ministry. So... Rule number four, take no step toward marriage without first consulting with your brethren or sisterin. If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. (laughs) Right? 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 I mean, some of you might know the Spice Girls, clearly. No judgment. Free Methodist. Hey-o. And I... I believe they may have plagiarized John Wesley. If some of you want to get engaged and do ministry, you better be talking to your besties about your love life, all right? All right, rule number seven. Tell everyone what you think wrong in him or her, and that plainly as soon as may be, meaning waste no time, people, else it will fester in your heart. Make all haste to cast the fire out of your bosom. Apparently, church, we need to have some honest conversations with one another in this room and stop giving one another the stink eye. Randy. (laughs) Rule number 10. Be punctual. Yeah, some of you... Do everything exactly at the time. And in general, do not mend our rules, but keep them. Not for wrath, but for conscious sake. We see you people sneaking late into church in the middle of worship. 
We see you. Shoot, honest confession, I'm one of those people on occasion. And I blame it truly on our coffee and all the hugs I get trying to get from that entrance over there into this church. No excuses, nonetheless. Thank you, John Wesley. I will work on being punctual. All jokes aside, I think one of the best tips that John Wesley offers to any preacher, evangelist, helper, or any layperson who wants to share the gospel is rule number 12. You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go always, not only to those that want you, but to those that want you most. Observe, it is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance, and with all your power to build them up in that holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. The church has one business on earth to save souls. Amen. The grandfather of our denomination says it clearly. The church is called to bring the good news of the gospel to our community. We are to share with our family, friends, neighbors, strangers, that we, we believe in God, that we believe in a living supernatural God who came to earth in the person of Christ, lived amongst us, radically changed lives through restorative justice and dynamic grace, died on a cross only to be resurrected three days later, that we believe in a God that has come to save us from our sin, from our brokenness, dare I say save us from the slaying of one another in violence or in the systematic oppression of others, that God comes in the person of Christ and saves us from our sin, both individually and corporately. Our God is a mediator in our suffering, and our God is the hope that we wait for in our resurrection. John Wesley is correct. The church has one purpose, and it's to declare both in action and our word, our sovereign belief in a God that is still alive and operative in our society, in a God that still performs miracles, bringing both hope and reconciliation. It's for this reason that I believe God gives us the text of Mark 6, 7 through 13. We see God in the person of Christ commissioning the disciples, even in the face of rejection, to share the good news of what Christ is bringing and will continue to bring. So church, please join me in the reading of Mark 6, 7 through 13. The twelve sent out. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed, that all should repent. They cast out many demons 
and anointed with oil many who are sick and cured them. The word of the Lord. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Thank you, Father, that we have an opportunity to allow ourselves to interact with your word this morning. Thank you, Father, for this church, for the people that are here this morning, that, Father, we get to worship together both in song, in the reflection of scripture, and in the way that we love one another, both in this room and outside this room. I pray, God, that your word will inspire us, empower us, bring conviction, but yet at Give us a vision for how we may share our story to this world. Thank you, Father, that I have an opportunity to share this word, but I pray in my pride that I step aside, and that in your Holy Spirit, Father, it is your word. So thank you for that. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say, amen. Last week, we learned from Pastor Colleen that Christ and his followers were rejected in Nazareth. And Mark 6, 1 through 6. They began their ministry in Christ's hometown to declare the good news of the gospel. And yet this message falls on seemingly deaf ears. Christ is rejected by those who are supposed to have known him best. And whether through naive ignorance, uninformed prejudice, or simple pride, they dismiss him. I can imagine this must have been terribly hurtful and disheartening. It's never easy to feel rejected by those you call family and friends. It can cause disillusionment, self-doubt, fear. Still, Christ and his 12 remain resilient. They persist. They move beyond Nazareth, where Christ, in verse 7, commissions his disciples in pairs to go to the surrounding villages of Galilee under his authority. In the Greek, Mark uses the word apostolo, referring to the disciples as messengers, envoys, delegates. Mark is emphatic that the disciples are Christ's representatives sent out with his full authority to do his work and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. In doing this work, Christ gives his disciples specific instructions in verses 8 through 11. They are to take nothing extra, just the basic things they need to travel a short way, a staff, a single tunic, and sandals. They are not to take anything that would provide with them sustenance on their journey, such as food or money or a bag to carry provisions in. Rather, the disciples are to depend on particular people who would accept them when they speak their message, relying on the gifts of hospitality. Some will accept them, while others will not. For those who do not accept them, the disciples should leave without regret, shaking the dust from their feet in an act of sorrow and judgment. Those who reject the disciples reject Christ and do not inherit the blessings that come from hospitality and the joy of sharing in the good news brought to them. And to be clear, in the shaking off of this dust, it is not pride or arrogance of, I am right, and therefore, I reject you as you reject me. No, it is an act of sorrow, grieving at the fact that though we offer hospitality in the good news, it's not received. 
So no idle time then should be spent trying to win over people who reject this message of Christ. As Christ encourages the disciples to just move on. Shake it off, literally. Like a Taylor Swift song. I had, to, I had to add that, per my husband's advice. That, so. But shake it off, right? And continue the work of ministry. In doing this work, the disciples in verses 12 through 13 are able to experience the joy of declaring the good news of Christ, even in the face of rejection. They've been commissioned to bring salvation to those who are lost, heal those who are sick, and cast out evil, unclean spirits. Christ's prescription for ministry is quite bold and countercultural. Christ's rules for ministry demands the disciples to be reliant on nothing but God's provision as executed through the hospitality of others. It is not only a full reliance on God, but a reliance on other people to assist them in their ministry. It also demands that they get over their pride if rejected, encouraging them not to lose sight of what they have been tasked to do. Move from village to village and declare the good news of salvation. There's an urgency in this text, as well as a call to not lose sight of the mission in the face of criticism and or disapproval. What Christ faces in his hometown, he now prepares his disciples to remain faithful, even in the resolve that they too will be rejected. The prescription for ministry, Christ's rules for ministry, is markedly different from other movements of renewal that is happening at the same time. For example, the Essenes and the Pharisees. They too also sought a new way of living in community, and they had their own missionaries, as referenced in Matthew 23, 15. But these, when they went on mission, had prejudices. They took with them a bag and money to take care of their own meals because they did not trust the food that people would give them, which was not always ritually pure. They had prescriptions about who they would stay with, ensuring the homes they resided in would allow for them to practice their religious prescriptions. As opposed to other missionaries, the disciples of Jesus received various recommendations which helped them to understand the fundamental points of the mission which they received from Jesus. They didn't get to choose their food, even if it was seen as religiously unclean, nor did they get to turn it away. They had no food. (laughs) They did not get to choose which home they were welcomed in, nor did they get to move homes of the host because it was convenient may be more suitable for Jewish men or with higher economic provision. There is no elitism in Christ's ministry. As Jesus said about his public ministry in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Christ came not only to save us from our sin, but to systematically liberate humanity from systems of oppression and marginalization. The power of Christ's mission is to bring hope to all people, 
and to offer reconciliation to systems that often marginalize others and alienate them from community. Christ came to defy all social norms and to validate the dignity of every human being, no matter race, creed, or social standing. In this text, I believe it offers an important consideration for us as a church. Just like Christ's disciples, we are called in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go out and make disciples. Rule number 12. You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go always, not only to those that want you, but to those that want you most. As a church, when it comes to doing mission or ministry, don't spend all your time worrying about what provisions you have. Ministry is here. It is now, and it is needed. And my friends, you need nothing. Come as you are. Just be present in your home, in your community, here at church. Realize the urgency, the tyranny of the present. Our world gives evidence every day that it needs to hear the good news of Christ. Syria. School shootings. Walking on State Street and seeing those who are homeless. The brokenness of families. In those moments, we are invited to just come, be faithful, share the good news. Each of us may have a different gifting in this room. For me, it may be to preach. But don't underestimate if you feel called to serve, to show up, to pick up trash on the side of the walk because you care about God's creation. That is as beautiful as the opportunity to share a word. Each of us are important. Each of us have a role. You have everything you already need because you have been commissioned. I believe in this, that when our world gives us everyday sort of evidence that we need to hear the good news of Christ, remind ourselves, we must, that we have been given full authority in Christ to declare the good news of salvation, to heal the sick, and to cast out evil. As a church, we must be humble in receiving the hospitality of others, relying on one another, dare I say, strangers, because in humility, it breaks barriers socially, racially, economically. Eating together often forces us to converse and seek mutual understanding. Entering into a person's home offers honor and dignity to them in their generous giving. Have we ever considered entering a home where we may feel a bit nervous about the food we will eat? Maybe it's a different ethnic food, or we're picky about what we should eat. Or we know the person just simply cannot cook. (laughs) Sacrifice. Maybe the home is run down and not clean to our standards. Maybe we don't speak the same language and we're uncomfortable with how to carry a conversation. Maybe we simply do not like the person and it's awkward or it feels uncomfortable. Church, we're called to save souls. Go into the home, eat the food, try the language, be uncomfortable. In our ministry, we cannot be elitist. 
We must trust where God will lead us in the fulfillment of his mission to preach the gospel to the poor, set the captives free, give sight to the blind, and set free those who are oppressed. We cannot be bound by our religiosity, our own prejudices, and become those who reject the call of God. We cannot become those who have the dust of the earth shaken at us because we do not recognize the invitation to declare the good news of Christ. Additionally, there will be times when we break bread with others and the gospel of Christ will simply be rejected. Moment of vulnerability for me. There are times when I talk about racism and privilege and my hope that God will bring reconciliation and even my own family and many of my friends rejects the truth that society has oppressed people of color. Or some in my family have tattooed the Confederate flag on their bodies so that we never forget what it means to be Southern, yet also seemingly ignoring the history of what the slavery evil was in our town and our community. And some who've told me my ideology is just tainted by liberal beliefs. And I find myself in turmoil because I believe in my heart the sermon I have been born to preach is that the mission of God seeks to overturn systems of racism, bringing reconciliation and hope for all people. I believe conversations about racism is not a political issue. It's a kingdom issue. Amen. Amen. And it's not easy to hear those I love most, friends, and even strangers, reject what I believe in my heart, what I believe God has come to bring to each of us, freedom for those who are oppressed. Yet, I've had to learn to persist, to see that God loves my family and respects their own journey of faith. And while also moving on from some of those conversations with my family, I've done all that I can. And I have to let go of my own pride. I don't save my family. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so when I shake off the dust, it's not in judgment. No, it's in sorrow. But when I shake off that dust, I pray. I pray. Because it may not be me that is the missionary. I pray that others will continue to have that conversation with my family, continue to talk to them about faith and the gospel. There are times when I talk about racism and privilege and my hope that God will bring reconciliation all the time. <laughs> I can't stop preaching about it. And so though I may not always have that opportunity with my family, this morning I get to preach about it at Free Methodist. I can never share a sermon without preaching on the social gospel. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Thanks. In the same way, we as the church must persist. Each of you have something you must preach, declare, give testimony about how God is moving in the lives of people. We must not lose heart. We must work to save souls. There are so many who need to hear the good news. Christ asks his disciples to persist. And just like he was rejected by his own family and friends, they too must continue the mission of bringing salvation to a broken world. 
We, too, must continue, even in the face of scrutiny, doubt, ridicule, or dismissal. Interestingly enough, Mark 6, 7 through 13, is sandwiched between Christ being rejected in his hometown, verses 1 through 6, and in verse 14, the martyr of John the Baptist. It's important to note the determined resiliency of Christ and his followers in Mark 6, 7 through 13. They are relentless. The work done in these few verses demonstrates a faithful commitment that no matter how dark the times may be, we must remain persistent in our declaration of the gospel. Jesus and his 12 will not be derailed. And we see evidence of this in verse 30, that even after the death of John the Baptist, the disciples returned to Christ and yet still give testimony of their mission. The good news must be preached. Lives must be healed, evil cast out, and the mission of Christ born through acts of hospitality and faithful service. Rejection and persecution cannot silence the message of Christ, and those who follow him must remain persistent in our call and commission. Church, that is powerful. In the 70s, the time when Mark is writing this gospel— The Christian communities lived in a difficult situation, without any horizon of hope. In the year 64, Nero began to persecute the Christians. In the year 65, the revolt revolt or uprising of the Jews in Palestine against Rome broke out. And in the year 70, Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. In a time of persecution and great despair and rejection... Mark 6, 7 through 13, encouraged the early church to always trust in God's care and to remain faithful to the mission of Christ. It asks us, the church, to remain resilient, even in the face of dark times. Though we may be rejected, pressed on all sides, persecuted, and stunned, we are called to remain faithful in declaring the good news. This text is a precursor to the Great Commission. Resilient faith, hopeful declaration, and determined passion to bring the good news to all. Church, Mark 6, 7-13 asks us to remain faithful. Shake it off. Remain steady to the commission that we are called under God's authority to bring salvation to those who are lost, to save souls, to heal those who are sick by anointing them with oil, and to cast out evil. Many of us in this room may feel hurt by the rejections of our family, friends, and even by society when we speak up about the good news. Stay strong, stay resilient, stay committed. And my encouragement is if that is weighing on you, pressing on you, talk to one of our pastors. Talk to a dear friend, a mentor. Do the good work of healing so that you can remain resilient and persistent in declaring your story, your testimony of faith. Let us never forget today. The church is called to reconcile a broken world where we preach a gospel and live a life where we cast out evil, heal sickness, and share our wealth in generous hospitality.
We come to bring the good news that defies societal norms, changes corrupt systems, witnesses miracles, and sees holistic change. Let us never lose hope. On the front of your bulletins, there are a few quotes that I believe summarizes the message for today. My encouragement is that throughout the week, revisit Mark 6, 7 through 13. Ask the Lord, what story do I have to share about my faith and the way that God has transformed my life? What actions do I feel God calling me to do as I seek to reconcile a broken world? I pray that these quotes also will give you courage to remain resilient and persistent in the story of faith that is reflected in this room. First quote, Jürgen Moltmann, German theologian, if you couldn't tell by the name, Jürgen. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann writes in Theology of Hope, Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world, for the goad of the promised future stabs inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. Second quote. Success and failure ultimately have little to do with living the gospel. Jesus just stood with the outcasts until they were welcomed or until he was crucified, whichever came first. This comes from Father Gregory Boyle in his book, Tattoos of the Heart, an active minister in L.A. So church, what a joy to delight with you with the text, Mark 6, 7 through 13. I pray for us collectively that we remain inspired, that we remain persistent in the weeks and the years ahead. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Be blessed and amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.